1: how to do the same the phone lines are open this hour to be a part of the program it is a free call 1-855-450-NOAH-255-450-6624 or send an email to live at com. my name is Noah I am your host delighted to be with you as another episode of the Ask Noah Show kicks off this evening joining me is my co-host Mr. Steve Ovens welcome in sir
0: good afternoon I'm gonna start my own grinds my gears session. <laughs> okay what grinds what grinds Steve's gears tonight so um we believe that we should be trying to support the small businesses in our community. That's just kind of like a mantra that my dad uh, kind of instilled into us. You know, he's a chartered accountant and he tries to make sure that even if it's more expensive, he he deals with the local businesses. Okay. So with that in mind, I was looking to get some... I was looking to get one of those roll-off containers for like a giant dumpster. Oh, for this doesn't sound all good. all of the wind stuff. Okay. No, no, no. Uh, that's just the background for it. So what... uh what really drives me crazy I suppose Mm -hmm. is the small businesses around here unlike anywhere else I've been they just don't let you know that they're a small business when you call like you call this number that's on the website and they're just like hello and you're like is is this Bob from Bob's Towing (laughs) yes and then silence like okay. And so like you have to drag it out of them. And it's the same thing with their voicemail. It's just like, you've reached the voicemail box of 5555555. Okay. not the right number? <laughs> like, So if you are a small business out there and you're using your own personal cell phone, I understand that. But during business hours, you should probably answer with, Hey, like, thanks for calling whatever my business name is. Uh, and just, you could even do it. On a, a pre-screen basis, like, I don't recognize this number. I'm going to answer it as if this is one of my customers and, and save the rest of us that awkward silence of, did I call the right number? Is this website even up to date? <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> that is fantastic, Steve. Have 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 you seen that in North Dakota? Because down here, it's a, everywhere. A little bit. I tell you what, I, that is not the way I thought that store was
1: going to go. I thought you were going to tell me that you tried to open, like, go to, like, some small business to get them to dispose of your trash. And it was a guy who just has a burn pile and takes your trash over there and burns it for you. Because that's well, what we do up here in the Dakotas. And it shocked I you.
0: mean, <laughs> that's a different, that's a different grinds my gear for a different <laughs> night. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Well, we'll save it. I love it. 855 450. No, it's 855-450-6624. The email live at AskNOAHshow.com. Make your voice here, become part of the program. Ryan joins us from Georgia. Hey Ryan. Welcome to the program.
2: Hey, Noah, thanks for taking my call. You bet. I have a um I just got a new laptop, a Dell Inspiron. Um and it's one of the new Dell Inspiron sixteens. Anyway, um I'm trying to boot off of a USB stick, and I'm not able to do it, and I was hoping that—
1: UEFI or BIOS? Uh,
2: you might have some—so, um, initially, I was using a MBR, uh, MBR an old legacy style, mm. and that didn't work, and I went into the BIOS, and it does say that it only—it um, looks like it only supports UEFI. Okay. So I made a Ventoy um, USB, which I'm about 99% sure is a EFI, it um, is UEFI mm-hmm. format. And uh, but it, it won't it won't boot. Um, is secure boot on? Um, I, I I went ahead. I put it in a different laptop just to make sure you know that it it, it is a bootable USB drive. And mm-hmm. it, you know I was able to boot from another laptop.
0: So but, let's uh, start with the yeah, basic question: laptop, it won't... What does it mean yep. it won't boot? Do you hit a Do you hit the boot menu by hitting F twelve and then selecting it, or do you stick it in and hope that it it loads off the USB drive? Okay,
2: so um, I when I go to the F twelve boot menu, it just tells me um, there's no boot options available.
1: None, like not even when the hard drive. F
2: two. Um. No. So, the, so let me let me back up and give you a little bit bigger picture. What I'm try, what I've done is I took the I took the hard drive out and put a a larger hard drive in. So the, there is a um, NVMe hard drive in, but it's blank.
1: Okay. But you can so see it on the boot menu, even on, if it doesn't boot
2: on that drive. Uh huh. I'm sorry. Can you say that again?
1: When you hit F12, do you see that NVMe drive show up, even if it, there's nothing on it, and even if it doesn't successfully boot, can you even see it listed there under the boot options?
2: I do not on the F12 menu in okay. the F. When I hit F2 hmm. and go into more of like the BIOS setup, mm-hmm. um, I do see. Um, well, first of all, there's a section for for boot devices, which I don't see anything. Okay. But when I go down to like a storage section, I can see the drive. Ah,
1: with, I think uh, I know so what's going on here.
2: actually see the drive.
1: Do you have, okay. under, is it, what, what kind of computer is it?
2: It's a Dell Inspiron 16.
1: Inspiron, huh? Okay, maybe I'm off here. Inside of the storage configuration, look to see if there is a setting for RAID or... ATA, AHCI, something like that. Um... A lot of Dells, I have. I guess I've never seen it in a in, a, in an Inspiron, but I've definitely seen it in the Precisions, the Latitudes, the Optiplexes. There is a storage configuration that will allow you to choose if you want to have their internal RAID card on or off. And if you have that RAID card on, you have to slipstream the drivers into the OS before it will see the storage device, uh, or it just won't see it. And uh, is one of the, one of the most recent times I ran into that problem is that it's a brand new Latitude. And we couldn't factory reinstall the Windows 11 operating system that came on the device because it wouldn't see the storage de- device. And th- 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 that ended up being why. Um,
2: Steve, you got any thoughts? Yeah, I, I do have that option. And I believe it did. It did initially say RAID on, and I, and I switched it to AHCI A- A- slash VME. Yeah. D- the okay. third option is just disabled.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, you have the right but, one. Uh,
2: but even at the.
0: Okay.
1: Steve, what are your thoughts?
2: Hmm.
0: Uh, yeah. um, this this one can be a little bit tough if you don't if it's not being seen as a bootable device by hitting F twelve in the in there. My suspicion is that there's a setting in the BIOS. I, I don't believe that it's the the RAID option because we're dealing with the USB. Mm. If it was just a hard drive, I think you're spot on, Noah. That would be where I would go and look. Mm-hmm. But the USB drives, as far as I know, um, would if it didn't see the internal drive, it should try and boot off of that one by default. It should, yeah. it should go down the list. So that makes me think that um, you need to... I would need to actually look at a modern... Dell BIOS to to get a better understanding. Like my my Dell is now six or seven years old, and I have to imagine they've moved on uh, since since that. How about Secure Boot? Have we looked to see if Secure Boot is enabled or disabled? So that shouldn't uh, matter from the I've point changed. of That's view of that. Off. It just prevents the operating system from running. It shouldn't prevent the the USB drive from showing up as a boot disk. Okay. Right? So se- Secure Boot mm-hmm. will go. And look at it and say, "I can't run that," but it's not going to say, "I can't boot off of that." Like it won't.
1: You'll see the device. It wouldn't even know that the the key isn't enrolled until it gets to the device. That makes sense. Exactly. Yeah, I I wonder if there, you know, Ryan, if maybe there isn't a setting that prevents booting from external devices. It's weird though that you can't see the internal drive either in in the in the boot options.
0: I might try. I might try flashing a different USB drive, to be honest with you. Mm. I like my instinct is saying that just because one one saw it, like, I don't know, everything that I'm thinking about seems to think that the USB drive is set in in, uh, legacy mode. Like either Mm. either it's the shim is in the wrong place because some places are particular about that. So there's a there's a grub shim that that gets put on the USB devices in order to help them with the UFI boot. And stuff like that, especially in things like Ubuntu. So um, there are some devices that are way more picky about where that lives and should it be capitalized or should it not? and <laughs> like things like that. Um, so my gut would be to get a different USB drive and try flashing it specifically with like if you're doing it from Windows with Rufus, if you're doing it from um, like Linux, you would I, I've went with bootin But there's, there's a bunch of other ones out there that will help you with that too.
2: Does that at least give you something to go off of? So, um, yeah, so, so I guess a couple of, so I, I mean, I could try just recreating even the same USB, maybe using something else Mm -hmm. other than Ventoy. Oh, and, or, um, get another USB, uh, drive and, and try that. I I wasn't quite sure when, when uh, Steve when you mentioned the you said something about the shim. I wasn't sure what you were talking about there. Would that be something with the, the drive itself or would that be something with the um, image that was put on the drive by Ventoy?
0: It's the image itself. So there's a, a the shim is okay. a little piece of EFI code that allows Grub to load. Okay. So the EFI looks for a dot EFI file. And it used to literally be called shim, and now it's called something like grub x64.efi. And that will actually point to the grub installate, like the grub installer, installer is the wrong term, the grub program. So it's a shim because grub is a a legacy thing that we've pulled forward and pulled forward from, I don't know, it's been around as long as I've been doing computers. As for whether you should redo, you can try, absolutely try redoing the same device, but I have, I absolutely have one computer that will flat out refuse this one USB drive that I have. I use it on all the other servers, but for whatever reason, uh, even though they're the same make, like I bought these, uh, I bought all these servers used, but they're the same make and model, but I've got the one that's sitting on the very bottom of the stack has to be special and use a different USB drive because I don't know. (laughs) So. okay
2: all right well that that gives me a couple of a couple of thoughts I guess to, uh, to try and try and chase down good luck we
1: appreciate the call Ryan you know give it a shot go in and try some of those things and dig in and then give me a call back let me know how it works uh, I would love to hear how this actually works out um, particularly with what you found and where the problem was because it, it helps enlighten the next time that comes up and, of course, appreciate your call. Again, 855 450 No, It's 855-450-6624. The email live at asknoahshow.com. Steve, you ready to get into some feedback?
0: Absolutely.
1: Our first feedback comes in from Scott. Scott writes in and says, Good evening, Noah and Steve. I'm an IT guy from Brookings, South Dakota. My church wants to move to a more digital setup. There's currently, this is currently a bit beyond my depth so where would be a good place to start posting questions about our setup um so that is a really open-ended question um there's obviously i mean i guess the question is just where do i post the the questions but then i assume all of the answers and all of the questions that would come about your setup uh you know that digitizing a church, that could mean a lot of different things. So here's what I'm going to do. And maybe there's a more expedient way to do this, but we're going to post a, 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 a link in the show notes. And if you go visit that link, you should be able to post your questions in a document that's there. And then other people from the community can read and perhaps contribute back ideas. I will look over those questions myself. Uh, Steve will look over those questions, and then I'll also bring a friend of the show, Patrick from New Springs Church, who is the the tech guy down there, and Thomas Kwame, who is our tech director at our church here in Grand Forks. And I'll have them all kind of look it over, and we'll all kind of give you some feedback. Um, and then that way you'll have you'll have myself a network guy Steve kind of a jack of all trades Thomas an AV guy and patrick electrical slash programmer guy um, and so I think we'll run the gamut of those things but yeah if you're you know if you're talking about worship tech as in you know presentation kind of a thing um, or audio over IP um, we've done a lot with that and could certainly certainly help you there if you're talking just about you know doing check-in kiosks for your kids' programs and stuff like that. We've set up and worked with some of that. And Steve, you kind of live right around the corner from Scott.
0: Yeah, I was just talking with Noah about this um, before the show. I am right down the road from you. So it's a straight shot from where I live right up to Brookings. So it's a pretty quick drive for me. I mean, it's not exactly next door, but in in terms of South Dakota, it's a quick drive. So I'm, I'm willing to kind of, come visit the church um, if if that would be useful and kind of work as Noah's proxy.
1: Yeah. So we want we want to get involved, uh, Scott. So you let me know how we can help. Um, and I will put you, I will either help connect you to the resources that can help you, or I mean, I should say, I will either help you or I'll connect you to the resources that can help you. But uh, yeah, uh, check the show notes, uh Check out uh, slash 304. And um, you'll see a link right under your question. Click in there. Uh, Create a free account and dump, uh, dump away, dump information, dump away. Our second email comes in from Mark. Mark writes in and says, hi, Noah and Steve, really appreciate your show. I listen weekly, albeit never live, only after the fact. So thanks for not only the show, but the podcast. Thanks for you and Steve's dedication to the topic of open source solution. And that brings me to my current problem. There's a broadband internet connection that I use regularly at a remote location. There is a team that shows up with me who has various apps to perform their designated tasks. To facilitate our work, I plug in a small Linksys wireless router into a hardwired port to establish our own wireless network in the area that we're working. The broadband hardwired port is not secure. Hence, the wireless connection through the Linksys router is not secure. Many of the apps that are used to do the work require secure socket layers to function. We've restarted the phone hotspots, but they get harder to... We've resorted to phone hotspots, but they get harder to establish the debris you into the building. What's the best way to establish a secure socket layer for the team? I'm open to all suggestions. Like lugging a dedicated laptop with the right setup, a Let's Encrypt certificate, buying a different router and customizing it, or setting up a Raspberry Pi. What are some ways to fix the issue? Thanks in advance. Mark from Florida. So a um, couple of things here. Uh, so the the question that you've asked as you've asked it um doesn't make a lot of sense because so you there i don't understand how a connection out to a switch is is not secure like ssl doesn't require anything from the switch per se it's a connection you know through your web browser that's established out and so The hardwired Internet connection is likely not what's causing the issue here. If you're seeing invalid certificate errors or certificate problems, I have seen problems with SSL having trouble negotiating when you have poor or insufficient Wi-Fi coverage. So is this Linksys router that you're bringing, how old is it? How far away are you working from it? Because I think that is more likely to be where your problem is than the router. The only other thing that it could be is there are some larger facilities. You don't give a lot of details into where you're working, but there are some larger facilities and government facilities that have devices that sit on the edge of their network that intentionally break SSL Mm -hmm. and try to spoof and stuff like that. So it's not out of the question that you might be coming up against something like that. My recommendation, and we have this a lot, this model, a lot with uh, with uh, physicians and they a lot most physician, not maybe not most, but a lot of physicians, particularly specialists, will travel and do what they call satellites. And so a satellite is they leave their home hospital, so to speak, and go to. A surrounding hospitals that maybe don't have that particular specialist and they'll practice there maybe, you know, one or two days a month. And so a frequent request, we get this from attorneys and we get this from doctors, is we want to roll in with a small team and we want access back to our network and our resources. And so what we do in every case is we set them up with either a Protexia line, a Netgate 1100. Um, or recently we've started to do is we've start, actually started to repurpose X, uh, uh, Sophos uh, X125. Um, the Sophos platform is really just an Intel board. So they're re- if you're looking for something on the cheap, you can get a really high-end Sophos box. And when you take it out of the bo- when you pull it off of eBay, it won't have a support contract with Sophos anymore. But it's just an Intel board. So you plug an HDMI monitor into the back. You plug a USB keyboard and mouse. You plug your PFSense or OpenSense install drive into it. And a few minutes later, you have a perfectly uh, great open source router. Um, and so put all of that into like a little 4U or 5U Gator or SKB case and take it with you. And then you pair that with like a little you know UAP Pro or U6 now if you want the, the latest one. Uh, and that, uh, we have physicians that take those around and conduct little clinics inside of offices with them. We've had attorneys take uh, kits like that out to do depositions. And in all cases, um, those U6s, will more often than not outperform the farthest you'd ever want to get away from the thing. Uh, And then just everything is kind of nice and contained. And then typically what you do is you pair that with like a site-to-site VPN. So you'll have one back at your main office, and then the little remote kit will connect back out to the main office, and then you've got a a tunnel. And then it doesn't really matter what the, the network is doing because all of those packets are encrypted and going straight, Back to your site before it's ever leaving the network, um, could potentially do something like that with you know Tink or WireGuard or something like that with a Pi, um, but the most straightforward part of your uh, most straightforward path would be just to buy a you know a router and set that up. Our third email comes in from Jeremy. Jeremy writes in and says. What would you guys suggest for dubbing audio over a pre-recorded video from a GoPro? Best, Jeremy. So, if I am reading this right, Steve, Jeremy goes out and he, you know, takes his hobby, his action sports hobby. He probably probably is a water skier and goes out and and gets film of his water skiing, and then he wants to talk over his really cool water skiing. Uh, skills to say like, hey, look at that flip. That's fantastic, right? There's a couple different ways you can do this. So one thing is, if you're trying to time it up, you're trying to time it right. What you might do is play the source into VL or into OBS rather, and then as you're doing that, have you know a microphone and a little USB thing and have it plugged into the computer. And then as the GoPro is playing and it's capturing that channel of audio, then you could, uh, you know, just talk over the video or talk with the video, and you could adjust the difference between the playout volume and your mic volume to get it to where you want. So that's one way you could do it. The quote unquote professional way, the proper way, whatever you want to call it, it would be to do what's known as a voiceover. And so a voiceover would work something like this. You would open up Audacity and maybe you would play the video off to the side, but you would have it muted or maybe you'd have it in your headphones and you would narrate the voiceover the way that you want it or if you're paying somebody to do it you would type out what you want and have them voice the the voiceover either way you wind up with a wave file of the of the voiceover then you take the video file with the captured audio put that into Kdenlive and then drag the voiceover as a second audio track the advantage of doing that over the OBS route is In the OBS route, you're recording everything as part of one file and what you get is what you get. So it's fine if you want to do it in one shot and you can get it right and all the things. This way takes a little bit more work and it also, you have to be kind of on your game because you're watching one place and recording another place, but you can swap any part out of that recording if you want to redo a part and you have the ability to adjust the volume uh, over the voiceover. So it gives you a, li- a lot more granular control over the final product. Um, but that's the way that I would go about doing that. I would take the pro- pre-recorded video from the GoPro and I would record a separate audio track into either a, like a physical hardware recorder or if you don't have one of those, just record it into like Audacity. You could do it, I suppose, on your phone if you, you know, were really budget strapped and, and just needed a device. But the idea is to produce an audio file that contains the voiceover, bring it into a video editor on a separate audio track and you can adjust it how you like. Our pick of the week this week is Zenmap. Zenmap. You can learn more at nmap.org slash Zenmap. So I have like this, uh, I don't know, compulsive iTwitch that comes out with GUI tools. Um, they're less efficient. They are not. They're not universal, right? It presupposes that you have a graphical environment to begin with, and oftentimes, if you're SSH into a server, you, you don't get it. Um, so knowing how to do something from the command line is always my preference. The problem is the command line can be very unforgiving in the way of exploration. You have to know how to explore the command line to learn how to do additional things. This is where Zenmap comes in and uniquely strikes an itch here for me. It is a graphical tool for nmap but what i like so and it's multi-platform runs on linux runs on mac runs on windows bsd etc it's free it's open source based on nmap all of the things right so it checks all the boxes but here's what Zenmap does differently than most gui apps and why i have a particular affinity for it it when you choose say i want to scan a specific host and i want to find out what ports are open that's a little option from the drop down you click on that option Rather than just perform the action, which would be functional, but then you wouldn't understand what you did, it gives you the Nmap commands to run in the terminal. So if you want to just run them, you can click run, and in the graphical little window, it will run the Nmap command and give you the output right below it. But you have the Nmap command so that you can run it in the in the normal terminal. And so I was watching one of the guys at the shop use this tool and I thought. I love that you have the ability to learn the commands and learn what these different flags and what these different options do and how to properly formulate uh, an NMAP uh, command. And so uh, really, really cool graphical tool. And then if you're new to network scanning and have never done anything like this before, I just think it's much more approachable to have a tool that you can fire up and use. So the tool is called ZenMap. You can learn more at NMap.org slash ZenMap, but it is the official graphical uh, user interface for NMap. Our device of the week or gadget of the week is the Dev Term. So this is it. Kind of looks like a child's typewriter, for lack of a better way to uh, to describe this. But essentially, it is a a twelve eighty by four eighty pixel LCD with a keyboard and the ability to attach a Raspberry Pi CM Four light, Um, has four gigabytes of RAM, Wi Fi five, Bluetooth five, and it's just a little computer that you can use and. The, so there's a couple things that appeal to me about this. One is it, the day will come back when we can get our hands on Raspberry Pis that aren't insanely priced anymore. And when that day comes, I look forward to returning uh, of having available to me a bunch of cheap computers everywhere. So, But the other thing that I like is that these companies are now starting to build products out of Raspberry Pi. So the Raspberry Pi is great, but then You know, you got to have a keyboard, you got to have a mouse, you have to have a monitor and you have to have it connected and all the things. And so if you're using it as a replacement desktop or you're using it as some sort of an appliance PC, that works well enough. But if you just want to, like, take it out and play with it, there's a little bit of setup involved. And so what I like about the dev term is it is a device specifically for playing with things like the Raspberry Pi. And so you can try out new software and try out how does this thing work or that thing work or would this work on a Pi and get some actual experience and... It's kind of like a self-contained device. So really like it's from Little Pew- uh Little puting, And we'll have the link for you in the show notes of
2: podcast.asknoahshow.com. From the Linux Newswire
3: newsroom, this is the Week in Review with JT. B for Artists, a fork of the popular open source 3D software Blender, focused on providing a more refined UI and better usability, has released their version based on Blender 3.3. Firefox 105 is now available for download. According to a report by Pharonix, a new CPU scheduler is being developed for the Linux operating system that decreases system latency and provides improved performance in low load scenarios. Also, reportedly, Rust will be included in the Linux kernel for the 6.1 release. Google engineers continue to push for a Linux KASI, or Kernel Address Space Isolation, to better deal with speculative execution attacks work on CUPS 3.0 continues its development to overhaul Linux printing. The Fedora 37 beta has been released and features a preview of GNOME 43 and Raspberry Pi support. The latest release of KDE Plasma's user interface brings a number of improvements including easier preview of desktop wallpapers, support for animated wallpapers, a number of UI navigation and settings tweaks. But the biggest change in KDE Plasma 5.26 beta is a new Plasma Big Screen option designed for TVs and other large displays. Cybersecurity firm Bishop Fox has announced the release of CloudFox, an open-source tool designed to help find exploitable attack paths in cloud infrastructure. The Linux Foundation's Cloud Native Computing Foundation has accepted open-source Hexa project as a sandbox project. And lastly, the U.S. Department of Commerce signed a partnership with Alphabet's Google to produce open-source chips that startups researchers and universities can use to affordably design new types of semiconductors. The deal brings the technology giant together with the National Institute of Standards and Technology. The agency has said that researchers at its university partners will be contributing the chip designs.
1: Thank you JT. You'll hear his newscast at the about halfway through the show we try to get to them. We really appreciate him putting that together. It gives you a nice concise look at what happened in Linux and open source over the last week. So the Caden fundraiser is live. We wanted to give some light to this. So today they started the process of what is going to be ultimately a lot of fundraisers for specific projects. And so the goal here is to get funds directly into the hands of the people who make the software. And they're starting with Caden Live. So typically the way that fundraising has worked as part of the KDE project is people donate and it goes into one large fund that then gets distributed between all of the things that make up the KDE desktop. And so they're shifting that. They're, they're, this, this, this one is going to be different. And so this is going to be the first time that KDE is running a fundraiser for a very specific project. And so that project is Kden Live, And their goal here is to raise 15,000 euros for the Kden Live team. And they're going to take these funds and they're going to give them to the people who contribute and help make Caden Live what it is. And uh, this is near and dear to my heart for a couple of reasons. First of all, we switched from a proprietary uh, software that ran on Linux to Caden Live. Precisely, I watched this happen. I watched Caden Live go from what would have been a. Hobbyist kind of toy to an absolute professional tool that is that we use all the time for for professional production. And what is exciting to me is open source does not mean free, right? It doesn't mean that this is the that these people are going to just continue to give of their time and of their skill. And so, what this allows the KDE team to do is pay the people who are taking these projects to the next level. And so as Caden Live steps into the de- the next development cycle and they're looking for uh, the next features that are going to be coming, they, uh, you know, and new effects panels and improving the overall performance and making it faster and more responsible and more fun for people to be able to work with, nested timelines, all of this stuff is stuff that Caden Live wants to work on. And if you're going to have, you know, software developers that are going to do a good job, you're gonna to have to pay them. And so uh, we want to encourage you to donate to Caden Live. Now, one of the things that I will point out is that you're not able to donate if it's any less than 10 euros. And here's why. It every donation costs the Caden Live or the well, really the people who are, are facilitating the fundraiser money. And so that platform, as part of that, they have just said, if you can't afford to donate 10 euros or more it probably isn't worth it. They would rather you just keep your money. So if you're in a position where you can responsibly financially do so, I highly, highly, highly encourage you in the strongest possible way to please donate to this, uh, this endeavor because it, if you want professional, awesome tools on Linux, this is how we get them. And I, as I was going through and kind of looking through the Internet at, 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 at how they're doing and how this is being received, there's a lot of people out there that have opened up and said, you know, I just I wouldn't be editing video on Linux right now if it wasn't for Kayden Live, And it just fundamentally allowed me to do this or fundamentally allowed me to start my channel or do this thing. And I look at that and go, that's an example of open source serving people well. So uh, you can learn more at CadenLive.org slash slash fund. We'll also have a link for you in the show notes of podcast.asknoahshow.com. Plasma 526 beta. So you heard this mentioned in the newscast. So this is a new user interface designed with this idea of the 10-foot user interface, right? I'm standing 10 feet back from a display. What does that look like? How can I read and understand everything that's on the screen? And then how can I interact with it and navigate it easily, you know, presumably using some sort of TV remote control? And so this is a, a feature that's now it's important. This is a beta thing, right? So this is new. But... Uh, there are a couple of applications that they've specifically optimized for this large screen mode, and that includes the Aurora browser, as which is a web browser, as well as the Plank player for audio and video files. Now, Steve, I have to tell you, I thought the timing of this was pretty uh, was pretty spot on because, so far as I understand it, you are experiencing some hmm, issues with your uh, with your media
0: player. Well. Yes. Um, I'm not, sh- I don't remember which media player you're specifically referring to my Co- comm center, or my Nvidia Cody shield
1: <laughs> uh, talking about your Cody, uh, scanning thing.
0: Oh yeah. That, that has been a bit of a travesty. So, uh, my Nvidia shield died recently and then I tussled with what I'm going to replace it with. And I just went with another Nvidia shield, mm. but the, uh, I fired up Cody and it turns out that, uh, after seven years, I'd forgotten how big the library has been built over time, <laughs> and I want to say it took 26-ish hours wow. for it to grind through all of my library again, uh, which meant that I had to leave the TV on because as soon as you turn the TV off, the Kodi suspends because it's got the CEC uh-huh. built right into it, and so like I had to just leave my TV on for like a day uh, just <laughs> so I would continue goodness. to scan.
1: Well, I guess that's the time where you pat yourself on the back and you're like, Hey, guess who set up shared Cody and Dixing between all these TVs? This yeah, guy right. did. And Yeah. But yeah. no but so so here's 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 where I start to think plasma shell. Okay, so you have a I didn't think about the conference center, but that plays in here too, I guess. So you have these devices, you say, what am I going to replace them with? What if the answer wasn't replacing them with something made from NVIDIA? What if it was just you replace it with a computer and the operating system had an option for being super functional on a TV? I mean, you could even install Kodi.
0: I mean, we actually went that route before we had an NVIDIA Shield. So okay. I had I had a nuck attached to the, the screen. Um, there were too many like little bumps and bruises along the way for like... I mean, we're talking about so I had my Nvidia shield six or seven years, so we're talking mm-hmm. about three the three years leading up to that, so like a decade ten ago, years ago, okay, right, but we had bumps and bruises where like maybe the Netflix thing didn't play or the browser would crash, or yeah. um you know my wife we have netflix we've there's a couple of streaming services, Netflix and Prime and stuff like that, where ten years ago uh-huh. they they were janky or you know, they were particular at best, like user agent switching and like all the rest of that sort of stuff. So maybe that would be more reasonable now, but we moved away from that specifically because it was causing my wife frustration, which is not what you want when she, when you want your wife to yeah. sit down in front of the TV.
1: <laughs> so it was. So it was. I, we had a, a birthday in the family, and as we're all sitting around, my dad is sitting to my immediate right, and we're sitting in the backyard, and he looks up, and he says. My dad's a ham radio operator. So he says, you know, son, why don't you, uh, why don't you have a tower? And I said, do you see those trees in the back? Those 40-foot pine trees? I'd have to cut those down or trim them so that I can get the tower up there. And he goes, well, just put it up by the house. And I said, that does not have the SAF. <laughs> and he looks at me and he goes, what's SAF? And I said, spousal approval factor. And it was like, you know... There are some things that I can get away with and then there are some things that I can't get away with. So I completely understand where you're coming from when you're like, hey, if there's just too many rough edges, it causes people to not want to use the thing. And then that works against my efforts to digitize my my house or whatever. Right. I I wonder, though, if this isn't the the start of a change of that, because now the people at KDE are going to be designing the desktop and an interface to be used on a TV. And so I start to think if you pair this with like a Flerk where you can use any old TV remote but have the ability to navigate and go back and forth and select and stuff like that, now you hand your wife the TV remote that came with her, you know, Samsung stock TV remote or LG or whatever, but because it has the ability presumably to control a media player, you can pair it to the Flerk and then you have the ability to do that or you buy like a universal remote. I wonder if that... You know, if that starts to make this more approachable, then I start thinking, you know, gaming wise, you know, you could have one box that could run Cody, could run Steam, could just run a web browser. I like the idea of having my computer attached to a TV, I have to tell you.
0: Yeah, um, we definitely have kicked that idea around even like we kicked it around before replacing the NVIDIA Shield. Um, One of the things, ironically, we have two unused Apple TVs in our house. Um, <laughs> I'm this proud of is you. how much we wrestled with it. I decided that I was going to drop $200 rather than go out to like grab one of the unused Apple TVs because um, the number of paper cuts that we've had, which it sounds wow. weird for an Apple device, but there are tons of things that you go to watch on Netflix and it's just like, I'm sorry, we don't support that device on Netflix, really? complaining about the Apple TV. Yep. So my kids like uh, Minecraft Storytime, uh-huh. can't watch it. They like uh, Man Vs. Wild, can't watch it. Um, <laughs> it also doesn't have a decent media player. Like like um, there is one out there that, that people like, but it doesn't have, so we tried it. I went and paid for it for like a month or whatever. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The name escapes me off the top of my head. But anyways, um, it can't do the critical thing that I want it to do, which is to just to create a one off playlist like with Cody, you can just put Q, Q, Q yeah, yeah. and then hit play. Yep. You I have tried literally everything that I can get my hands on on an Apple TV. None of them have that. In fact, including this one that's very vaunted. I actually wrote into the support and they got back to me immediately no, we don't have that. We'll put that on huh. the list and see if if people have interest in it. Nope. It's just a simple thing, but apparently I'm the only one in the universe that uses this. Oh because... no, 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 no!
1: That's how I build my playlist for the night. That's how I watch. That's what uh, you know. Because otherwise, exactly. otherwise I'll fall asleep before I get through my 20 minute program.
0: That's no, that's exactly why we do it, right? Mm-hmm. We don't want it to like just continue. So like Plex will just continue to play the episodes, mm-hmm. which is why Plex is out. Mm-hmm. And and all the other ones, it's like it's really clunky to to create your temporary thing. So. I bought the Nvidia shield for Cody support because <laughs> that's funny. The, uh, the, to, I'll end my rant with this. The Apple TV currently the answer for that is you have to get a Mac and then you have to use Xcode to sign Cody. So <laughs> you can sideload it. Oh, wait, oh wait. Every seven days. Because unless, you, be unless you pay for the developer account. <sighs> it's just like no no I am not and or you could try and jailbreak it but you also need a mac for that so having no macs for either option here so here's so this
1: you're you're actually you're illustrating my point really well so there is definitely a need in this market of the the thing that drives me nuts over almost all else is that we keep people keep buying these stupid smart TVs, right? And what they, they fail to understand when they purchase a smart TV, or maybe they just understand and don't care, is there are two types of things that you can purchase in the world. One is a consumable thing. It's like a saw blade or, you know, uh, brake pads. These are things that I know are going to get... Used up and then I'm going to go and buy them again and then there are other things that in theory I should be able to buy it once and have it for the rest of my life things like you know a good cast iron skillet that is not a consumable I can continue to use it over and over and over again. And we have taken TVs, which used to be a thing that I would spend a lot of money on one time and hang it up in my living room wherever it was and it would run for 10 years or 15 years or 20 years and then eventually when, you know, crap out and it wouldn't be worth fixing anymore because for a while we fixed TVs, right? And, And then eventually it's not worth fixing anymore and so you take it out and you replace it with a new one. Well, thanks to this smart TV craze, every TV you buy now, really what you're buying is two products, you're buying a TV and you're buying a computer. Is it a particularly great TV? Some of them are, but a lot of them, but almost all of them that are smart TVs don't have particularly fantastic computers in them. You can't necessarily load your own operating system on it. You can't really control it. You're kind of at the vendor's mercy in the way of when they want to update it. And so you've purchased this gorgeous Sony Bravio $10,000 television, and the TV would last you 10, 15 years, no problem. The computer's going to last you mm, two, three years, and then because these stupid things double in power so often, it's just going to become outdated and then you won't be able to use it. So that's a really long-winded way of saying we desperately need a way to add open source computing power to TVs because frankly, the reason we're all in this boat is because no ain't no one got time to go dig out optical disks and put them in so you can watch one video. You want the ability to just pull up your streaming service or pull up your Kodi thing or pull up your server or play a video. And what I see when I read, about Plasma Big Picture is straight from the article quote you don't need a particularly powerful computer to get started with Plasma Big Picture KDE Neon post-market OS Manjaro ARM images with big screen user interface available a number of devices including single board computers such as the Raspberry Pi 4 the Od- Odroid N2 Rednex 02 RockPro 64 and the Kati's VIM line of devices uh, that is appealing to me that all of these inexpensive devices are things that you can go put an, put an operating system on and try it. And rather that's Jellyfin or Kodi or KDE with big picture mode. I just think this is going to offer more flexibility and potentially be more useful for people you it is it is a terrible idea to plug a computer into a tv and then try to use your tv as a monitor it is an equally terrible idea for you to try to use your uh home theater remote to uh you know work on your desktop during the day there's just two different interfaces made for two different things and so to me big picture mode feels like we're finally getting on the the right page for putting it on the tv
0: you know i'll uh, consider this um mm-hmm. I've got a raspberry Pi four that I might check at this because we've actually because of all this problem we've been talking about my son my 10 mm-hmm. year old son said dad why can't we just put the media center back in place as <laughs> as you know Noah it's now in the knock the yeah so all of the actual computers are in the knock because when we we're in an apartment the knock mm-hmm. was right underneath the projector right so I just ran an HDMI cable up from my Plex server directly right into the to the yeah. thing and we had all the things so he's like well why can't we just do that and I was like well, because it's like 30 feet away and it's through a wall. And you know, <laughs> <I> de- <laughs> um, And then I was like, well, maybe we'll, we'll put a NUC back in place. So we're actually already thinking about replacing the Apple TV with a NUC. Okay. Yeah. Keep
1: me up to date on this. I want to know how this goes. <clears throat> I will throw out there just because I can. Uh, we could put an SDI cable from your basement up to your projector and you could feed your projector back from your NUC.
0: That well, we talked about that, mm-hmm. and there, there's no problem with that, except how do we get the wireless signal from the projector room into the ah. right? So then you'd have to run a USB cable, which is it's all doable. It's just yeah. extra work, right? Yeah, and USB running
1: long distances less reliable than video.
0: Yeah, so okay. there's there's a bunch of stuff that it's not. Those aren't not huge. Like we're only talking about thirty feet or something like that. It's but. It still is. <laughs> BBC is not a news source that I,
1: I pick frequently, but in this case, I had to make an exception. Headline, off-griders take energy needs into their own hands. Quote, we see no shortage of natural disasters in our area, says Mr. Mooney, mentioning the storms and wildfires as an example. Whenever there's power outages in our community nearby, we're always fine, Miss Erickson adds. We have a 2100 we have a 2100 watt solar energy system that's large enough to keep a small freezer, fridge, washing machine and laptops running, they say. Adding to that, they hope to triple or even quadruple their solar energy solar generating capacity in the near future. During the winter They, the pair rely on a small gas generator where there's too much cloud around. They document their experiences on a YouTube channel called This Off Grid Life, which we'll have link for you in the show notes, podcast.asknoahshow.com. So Steve, as a person who has recently put solar panels in his house, I wanted to ask you thoughts on what it would take to move out into the middle of nowhere and these guys are canadians so they're 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 your people uh you move out in the middle of british columbia live out in the middle of nowhere and they built this shack by themselves and outfitted it with 2100 watts of solar and it seems to work well enough in the summer and then they have to supplement with the you know with gas in the
0: winter well i have a friend that has done this he bought a piece of property up north on the lake and since he only goes there when there's you know it's not frozen over uh he installed a fairly small ground mounted um solar panel array and so he's got he's got like essentially he's got a a glorified outhouse, like an actual bathroom out there with running water mm-hmm. and electricity and a small, uh, small air conditioner for when you're in the bathroom, and a fr- like wow. then there's a fridge and they've got lights and stuff like that. So he essentially did that, and they go out there and hang out there four or five days out of the week. Wow. So how does that
1: compare to what your goals are? So these guys are trying to obviously be completely self-sufficient. You're more along the lines of, I want to kind of trim back where I can. And I want to I want to dip my toes into self-sufficiency here. Um, well, you're still relying I mean, on the grid.
0: That's, that's not really true. I am relying on the grid. We just didn't know how much we needed. So oh. I'm at about 70% energy independence while running my air conditioner. Okay. When I When I'm not running my air conditioner, I end up exporting to the grid. But we didn't we didn't know what we didn't know. Like I see. Ha- given the fact that our air conditioner blew up last year. <laughs> we had no idea how much the new one was going to suck down. Yeah. Um so we were shoot we were shooting for and still are shooting for as close to a hundred percent as we can get. So we're looking at getting another battery eventually. Um uh, because we are still we still end up exporting um like a couple of days ago we exported three or four kilowatts. Um when and we end up importing 10 overnight right? okay or whatever so if we had another battery then that we could stretch that out a bit so all coming that's down. yeah yeah we're just it's just going down to it's like on the 13th we we had uh we exported like 17 kilowatts so if we had another battery we could have trapped that and then uh not imported any money anything off of the grid when you when you started this
1: project, did you have did you set out with the goal of I want to get to energy independence? Or did you start with the goal of I just want to see what we use? So you're approaching this kind of backwards from the way that these people are, right? They started with here's what we can afford to put up. So we'll use what we can. Then we will run out. Uh, We're just kind of out of luck because they're in the middle of nowhere. You have the ability to use the grid, but you're still kind of skating towards that same
0: goal. Well, um I did start off trying to be energy independent as much as possible. Mm. But so you know me, you Noah, know, I had I had the energy monitors all throughout my house, yep. but my X factor was I have no idea how much my uh, air conditioner is going to suck down. And okay. there was no way to simulate that from September when it blew up to when we got it put back in in, in June. It was yeah. put in while I was away in Germany. So the, the air conditioner went in the same time as the uh, the solar finished up. Okay. So there, was, there it was just like, I don't know. We have no idea how much this is going to use. So with another battery, you think you could make it? And here's the thing. Let's be honest, right? You're
1: kind of already there then in the way of energy efficiency because people lived for hundreds of years without air conditioning. Like, it's not exactly life. I mean, it's uncomfortable. It could be uncomfortable, but, like, you'll live.
0: Oh, yeah. No, we're we're totally there. And if I shut down... If I shut down all the computers and stuff like that, and we stopped using, like my wife will often do the most power inefficient thing in the world, which is turn on the stove and then use the burner at the same time. So we've got the cooktop and the stove going. And so then you just see us sucking down 10 kilowatts just (laughs) at a single time. And then the microwave maybe because she's busy making a bunch of stuff. So the biggest offender is all burning at the same time. And so you look at the graph and there's just this giant spike anomaly that doesn't happen. Very often. yeah yep <laughs>
1: that's awesome all right well keep me in the loop on, on how that goes Steve I I think this is I think this is fantastic I think when you look around at what's happening in the world you look at California passing legislation to ban the sale of of of, uh, of gasoline engines as of you know 2020 whatever it is 2025 2027 something like that and then you know at the same time having energy shortages when and telling people you can't charge your electric cars I think everybody is going to start to care about their energy efficiency a lot more than they have. I think people like you or I, who, you know, when I go out, I don't do it at my house so much, but when I go camping, I'm very conscious of the energy that I'm using because I had to bring it in batteries. And once it's gone, it's gone. Um, and so when you start looking at power that way and start understanding where your big power draws are, you start to think about, yeah, I don't really want to convert from AC back to DC back to AC back to DC There's inefficiencies in there. Um, and you start to get that drilled in. Then you start to say, hey, I can power an awful lot of electronic toys on, on, you know, on 12 volts.
0: Yep. Uh, one of the things it is uh, I'm hyper conscious of is the big drawers. So I know we're running low on time here, but we've got these LED strings that were left by the previous tenants um, that follow the crown molding in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. And it gives a nice lighting in the room. They draw more power than my desktop is drawing with its three <laughs> with its three 32-inch monitors right now. That blew my mind. I was like, how is that possible? Like, what is <laughs> re- sucking down the power, yeah. Yep. Really old LED drivers must be, huh? I have no idea, but it's it's one of those things I want to replace them, but it's kind of expensive to replace um, those types of LEDs. Well, and
1: time-consuming, too, right? You have to dig yeah. through your whole bedroom. Can't yep. have that. Yeah, so again, doesn't hit the spouse approval of factor. That's exactly, not. The juice isn't worth the squeeze. <laughs> hey guys, the music in our ears means we're out of time. As we wrap up the program, we want to thank you for listening. You can join us. We record the show every Tuesday at six p.m. Central. You can find more at asknoahshow.com. Hey, we publish the show notes. That's everything we use to create the show. Those are all available to you. Podcast.asknoahshow.com. There you'll find not only articles and references to the show that we did but you also find the entire back catalog you can follow us on twitter i'm at kernel linux he's at linux ovens you can follow the show at ask noah show and we'll see you back next tuesday at 6 p.m central ask noah have a good week